0: To Rise to Offend, a podcast that explores people who rose to offend in society and their legacy today. I'm your host, Petr Speich, and this week we continue the story of Philip H. Anselmo, arguably the most iconic heavy metal frontman of the 90s. Through attitude and aggression, he redefined the parameters of a lead singer by owning an antagonizing and intimidating stage presence while fronting heavy metal legends Pantera. At this stage in 1994, Pantera's latest offering, Far Beyond Driven, has landed number one on the Billboard charts and the band is headlining arenas. Phil has experienced extreme pain in his back from his wild stage performances and quickly decides to self-medicate, causing an addictive personality change and throughout tries to maintain the persona of a heavy metal Superman the media has created in his image.
1: When your own mother has no choice but to walk away from the ghost of her only son who still walks with his transparent dullard tenant who has taken up residency in his vacant carcass but over and again to call her sadness sadness is an insult to her emotions while I'm arrogant aloof insane A liar and completely blind, she in unison is trapped in private hell, made of me. The moment her back rests on her closed front door at the end of the day, of a work day, of any day, she begins sobbing. She prays for my very troubled soul in life. She cries her eyes out, day and night, remembering word for word, the last thick tongue slurred, hateful phone call I'd made. On that day, I told her spitefully that I would kill myself with heroin again. Over and over and over, till she dropped the phone and ran out into her front lawn and threw herself on the ground, and there she stayed racking her brain over why and how her firstborn's love-filled nature ever came to be withered and dying on the barb when his young life should be in full bloom. When mom quit answering the phone and walked away from me, I wasn't calling anyhow and that is the saddest part.
0: That story. And as always, joining me this week, Brandon gooch Han, and Jocelyn Sharp. So Far Beyond Driven, Pantera's third major label album was released March 22nd, 1994, and it debuted number one on the U.S. and Australian charts. And Pantera is full-blown, nonstop touring on top of their game.
1: Thanks a lot. <clears> this <throat> went off the goddamn Far Beyond Driven album, which I going to say. I'm very, very... Everybody bought that album and put all that fucking commercial
0: shit in their fucking place, and our record came out number one and all that fucking shit. I like it. Meanwhile, at this stage, Phil, he moved back to New Orleans in about 1991, so he isn't living in Texas anymore with the band. But at this stage, with the band being so popular, um, he had his sights on a lot of side projects with the guys that he knew back in New Orleans. A couple bands that he had his sights on, the first one was known as Down. And in 1991, Down, which was Phil, Kirk Weinstein from a band Crowbar in New Orleans, Pepper Keenan, famous for Corrosion of Conformity out of North Carolina, Jimmy Bauer from a band called I Hate God, and at the time Todd Strange, also of Crowbar, that is a New Orleans supergroup, and they released a three-song demo that they would pass out during the tape trading days in 1991. From that point, that project did not have any steam.
1: Far beyond driven, that's easy. Number one record. Yeah, number one, uh, billboard top 200. We've still beat you, Bonnie. Bonnie Raitt, she got her and her people got so mad because she <laughs> released her new album and we beat her. I'm sorry, darling.
0: But after Far Beyond Driven reached the height that it did for Pantera, Phil went back. To these projects. The main project that was his passion and the project that he seemed to put most of his focus on was Down. Tara on top of the mountain. Why do you guys think Phil would change his focus and try to start another project at this time or split his time away from the band that is his, his breadwinner. I think
2: he always wanted down to be that band. I think he always wanted to put new Orleans on the map and this is his one chance to do it. And obviously he, he had to buy his time. He had to get famous first to bring everybody along with him. But I think that's always, I think that was
1: always the plan. If you are a true musician you explore you explore and and as you know i'm a lover of all kinds of music so uh I explore. I'm an explorer.
3: I think people like this, too, and and all creatives are like this, And that when you come up in your career and you're struggling and you're paying your dues, you think of the thing that you're going to do when you finally cash in the check. And a lot of us have things like, and, and Phil is the kind of guy that he's always going to push himself to do more, I think. I think he's not splitting himself as much as, I don't think he thinks of it as splitting himself as much as he thinks. When you get to this point, you finally get to work on projects you want to work on. Like, you get to have these choices. You get to do these things that that are all creative, 100% creative, no financial, you know, there's no financial drive. It's just, we're going to make the best thing that we can possibly make because we can. Like, what a beautiful, freeing thing. And I think that's what that was.
1: Pantera. Oh, still, still. Don't you, don't you even imagine this ain't true. And if you do, you better wake up and apologize. We were the hardest-drinking band on the planet.
0: Hands down. In a lot of ways, down is Phil's band. Was Pantera ever truly seen as Phil Anselmo's band?
2: I, I don't think it was initially because they were already established as a band before he got there. Those guys were already playing together, so all of a sudden the new guy comes in, and the new guy doesn't just come in and take over.
3: He redefined their sound yes. mm-hmm. But Pantera before Phil is just uh, It was a different band It just uh, we it talked was to, a glam we, band We talked about it in part one It was a completely different band Phil came in and, and turned it into art That's just what he did
2: Yeah, they were a glam band They were a party band And then like, all of a sudden he comes in And just completely changes the sound The the style, the aggression The level of aggression
1: I'm sure maybe I read somewhere um, You know, I speak my mind And I talk about some shit And I fucking tell it like it is I don't know if you ever heard about uh, You know, how the philosophy of pantera goes we you know we don't give a flying fuck about it the others all we care about is our own and all i've been saying for fucking years to all these stupid fucking experts all hey, right you know what the experts are telling you that heavy music is dead and gone. y'all do me a favor y'all do me a favor y'all turn around and look at each other right now y'all turn around and look at all these motherfucking people here And obviously somebody's wanting to hear something that fucking these experts are telling you, you ain't supposed to be hearing. Alright, well, check this out. What? Our hit? This is our hit. This next song's our hit. You won't hear this next song. Anywhere but in your goddamn car, at home, or on this fucking stage, and that's the way it should be.
0: And Phil is very into the underground. And around this time in heavy metal, there was uh, no internet. So there was a thing known as tape trading. What that would be is virtually demo tapes would be traded between artists and stuff like that to find out about new bands and underground bands. It was a big market at this time. The, a genre that almost came out of that was kind of the lo fi music called black metal. Phil started. A, Really getting into the black metal bands. He loved uh, it. Starting up, it's something new. The the darkness of it, the aggression of it. He even started a uh, a black and death metal band called Christ Inversion. Um, he re- recorded two demos with them at this time in about ninety four, and he circulated those tapes in the tape trading market. But then he deserted the idea completely. <laughs> June of 94, Phil got some more negative press. And this was while on stage with Pantera, he hits a security guard in the back of the head with a mic stand because he was pulling out Pantera fans and kind of throwing them out. And he was roughing them up with fans, which we've seen happen many times at shows. But Phil did actually hit the guy in the back of the head with the mic stand, which gave them a lot of negative press.
1: I enjoyed everything about Pantera. You know, Pantera, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to sit here and say anything negative about pantera
0: are there any warning signs of phil being unhappy with his life in pantera at this stage having to be on the arena level i think whenever you reach that place that plateau
2: that you've been clawing for your entire time you you all of a sudden reach a whole new level of anxiety like you know you had this drive to get there and now you have to have drive to stay there and staying there is the hardest thing to do in all of music. It's the most challenging thing because you're, there's always somebody new that's going to come in with a different st- different sound to steal your thunder. And especially when you are pretty much the only metal band to ever reach number one like on the charts at that time especially during the 90s extreme metal extreme metal band you know you there is there are people looking up to you there are people that are that are having these expectations of you and then when things don't go necessarily right you you lash out especially like him he's seeing these the security guard rough up one of his fans well to him he's always he's always taken that approach of I'm one of you I'll fight for you and then he did I mean, he was being exactly who he was. Now, granted, taking a mic stand to someone's head, not recommended. You know what I mean? Maybe you want to take it down a notch. And you can't do
0: it on that level because you're a target now. Yes, now you're a target. I
1: always feed off the audience. I, I have to, but you got to give yeah. to get, you know. So I'm definitely up there giving, you know, and uh, it's completely up to what the audience gives back. But I usually uh ever have to worry about that. The
3: other thing to consider too is that, that you know, we've touched a couple times, Phil really did redefine Pantera's sound and that's a big thing, to redefine a band sound and then for him to create such steam behind the band, receive so many accolades, receive so much praise, get to the point that he did with the band and then you think he's just going to be satisfied just playing those songs. Like I don't think that's I think that for him, that probably was cr- creatively devastating because to do something so amazingly creative and amazing Amazingly successful i mean you you then crave more creation more success but how are you going to top that all the great music of course Brother, uh, over the years.
1: more i'm sitting on like five different records right now you're a man of many bands I uh, am. well i mean
2: after you reach number one you're going to want to top yourself and at this point i mean when you're the first extreme metal band to reach number one how do you get more number one i think this is a casualty of Making your art your identity And when you make it your identity You sometimes throw yourself into uh, Almost like hysteria Where it's like you'll do whatever you gotta do And then it just drives you slowly crazy Just this idea that you always have to be great This idea that you always have to maintain This uh, persona that he created on stage Like that, that takes a lot out of people
1: I am an extremist when it comes to everything Anything I set my mind to, I'm an absolute extremist. I cannot say it any better. And I was injured. I had a back injury from, and I don't suggest anyone do this, but I would climb up on top of PA systems and dive head first, either into the waiting crowd or into the waiting concrete, and it made no difference. I would
0: attack I would attack on stage. And I paid for it, Jack. So by 1995, guys, Pantera got nominated for the Best Metal Grammy, another achievement for that band. And all eyes are on them, but there was a performance in Montreal, and this is one of those performances that's what, what people question Phil on if he's racist or not, which is a, on, an ongoing thing throughout his career. The thing that bothers
1: me the most is the black, red, The majority of the hardcore motherfuckers are pissing off all you white culture. They don't fucking want to fuck your culture at all. They fucking dog out every white person that was ever born, and they don't know any of us. Do you
0: understand that? In a performance in Montreal, Phil went on a rant that was really like a stream of consciousness just going off you can tell he's drunk but in essence a lot of people felt that it was racist open your eyes open your eyes
1: it's fucking reverse discrimination is what it is and this is one man that ain't gonna take fucking jack shit off of fucking nobody
0: Phil at that point did publicly apologize, and here is actually what he said in full. I'll read his statement. I must take responsibility for the harmful words that may have racially offended our audience. First, to the black girl who has seen Pantera six times, thank you for telling me how upset you were at me. It made a difference, and I was very sincere with my apology. Second, I'd once again like to apologize to the security guards at the show. They were classy and professional and came to talk to me after the show when they really didn't need to at all. They opened my eyes, and yes, they were black men. I have much respect for them. I extend my apologies, and thank you to them. See, this word
1: gets thrown around like it's uh, easy going or something. But when when people start screaming racist over and over and over and over again at me, they need to understand the implications of said word. That's a heavy-duty implication absolutely. when you don't know jack shit about uh, me except for what you've seen in, in, on what? In, in live performances, music
0: videos, interviews, you can do what, whatever. The apology was questioned by many of any sincerity. Do you feel it should have been questions, or is it because his persona is just so standoffish that it was
3: questioned. I think that if your public persona is anger, people are going to always paint you with that brush. But I think that people are human. Although we live in today's society where people aren't allowed to make mistakes, everyone makes mistakes. You literally are still figuring out who you are until your th- mid thirties. I feel like. I mean, I, I still feel like I'm figuring out who I am. And and you got to do all this in the public eye. And you have not only does he have people who telling you're the greatest band alive, but he also has uh, people telling him you suck. You know, like there's you you live in this strange alternate reality and then you make a a very human mistake and and then people are like, yeah, you apologize, but is it really, true? do you mean it? And it's like, yeah, I mean, why else would he apologize? There's a
1: rift. There is a rift. So yes, I don't trust the media at all unless I have to sit there and really think (laughs) of a concrete answer You can't wear your emotions on your sleeve around the media. And I do wear my emotions on my sleeve big time. When you create a
2: persona like him, where, you know, he's always talking about no compromise, just say what you feel, say what's in your heart, and he's made a a career out of that. Well, every time you do that, there are going to be some consequences. And I think what happened was, is maybe he was caught up in a weird state of mind, and then maybe he said some things that he regrets. And the problem is, though, is when you are a regular person and not on stage, you say things you regret every, all the time, all the time. We've all done it. But when you say things you regret and it's caught on camera, or all of a sudden it's
1: worse? If there were a true, a real entity of evil in this world, it is that. To be honest with you, I purposefully, as an experiment, with my body, with my tolerance, with what I could take, I wanted to feel, I wanted to feel the gutter. Something in me needed to go through it. I don't know why. Maybe it was guilt from getting so much so soon and early. And my favorite bands are bands that haven't made a dime in their entire career. I'm a real motherfucker and I needed to feel it the real way. There's no way I could hear it from someone's mouth and know about it. There's no way I could explain it to you if you haven't been a part of it. But it's the true
0: ultimate incarnate evil. And the alcohol consumption that Pantera did, and like I said, I'm not... Was legendary. It was, they, they were extremely drunk. He was the one with the microphone, you know? Dimebag Daryl didn't have the microphone. Rex Brown didn't have the microphone. Vinnie Paul didn't have the microphone. But Phil, if he was out of his mind to the point of the drinking that they did, which is, like you said, very legendary, a lot of the things that he said in those moments can easily be taken out of context, and he could be completely out of his mind when he's saying them.
1: Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if Dimebag were alive today he'd be in some severe medical difficulty because Rex, the bass player, my bass player, drank himself so stupid he's got pancreatitis now. He's 42 years old. 42 years old and pancreatitis. That means if he takes a sip of a wine cooler he has no idea if it's going to kill him or not. And at one point, yep. He was acting just like a junkie. Hiding, boss. Hiding, hiding, hiding. Any of y'all watch that show Intervention? It's interesting, isn't it? It's entertaining, isn't it? Just watch other people, isn't it? Rex was just like any alcoholic on that damn show.
3: Well, how many pieces of shit in the public eye say fucked up shit and they never apologize? You know, he he specifically called people out. This to me is somebody who's saying, "Look, I know this is wrong." And there's lots of ways to do that. And this is just be- I mean, he grew up in in Louisiana in in the like 60s and 70s. Like what do you expect? Like he's not going to have the most progressive ideals I don't think you know I think that there's probably things that he heard as a child and it's a different time in the world as much as people are like don't make excuses I'm not making excuses I'm just saying culturally it was different and he even still recognized that what he did was wrong he even still recognized that his behavior was bad enough to release a statement I feel like that's sincere that you wouldn't go to that effort if you weren't sincere
2: and again if you're somebody that is always like say what you feel and you're very and you have all this conviction and then all of a sudden you turn around and you apologize I personally say think that that he means it there's no doubt in my mind that he
1: meant it because i knew i knew some really shady motherfuckers you don't think white power skinheads have approached me and tried to buddy up to me fucking a they have i had a really good friend in texas a couple of them that claimed white supremacy back in the day I know you had accusations
3: leveled at you. Oh, about that's that shit. all
1: right. I, 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 taunted the press. I, honestly, I would throw a little Zeke Hile out there just to piss them off, dude. Anybody who fucking knows me, man. It doesn't matter, you know, it's it's the person, it's the beauty in a person. And like I said before, good people and bad people, you know, that's all, you know.
0: And also at this time in 1995, Phil's performances were were erratic. Sometimes he was the old Phil Anselmo of all the early years where he was just on fire. And sometimes people felt he was too drunk to perform. Well, at this time, with Phil dealing with his back, he had a degenerate back issues. So at this time, he started taking painkillers and medication as well, not prescribed, just things that would ease the pain. And this, unfortunately, slowly rose Phil into heroin.
1: And I had, was lucky enough to have this success. I don't know about luck. I done broke my back for what I believed in. <laughs> <laughs> Busted my head off. I bled from my music, man. But heroin, when I say it controls all, I wasn't singing anymore about levels of confidence and power and walk and, you know, and all these songs of positivity. I was singing about dope. It even comes out in your lyrics, man. It comes out in your music. You go back and listen to it, it's like, oh, my God. You lost yourself. Yep, you sure did. You chased your tail. It's fear. The junkie fears the sickness, the illness. Because dope sick ain't fun, bro. It ain't fun. (laughs) It's miserable. And the only thing that cleans it up and fixes it up is more dope.
0: So the rest of Pantera started feeling distant from Phil due to what they thought was his alcohol consumption to stave off his back pain. But for years, it was affecting his performance. So after completing touring for Pantera in summer of 1995, Phil went back home to New Orleans. And that fall, that's when he recorded Down's debut record entitled NOLA. playing only a handful of shows the record went gold and right after went platinum do you think success of a side project like down with minimum effort in terms of touring was a positive thing for phil mentally at this time while he was getting addicted to drugs or a negative thing
2: i think in a way it was almost enabling him because when you are having that kind of success just like you said off minimal effort and he's High on drugs, and he's drinking, he's boozing. You feel invincible. So now he's basically telling himself, he's like, Well, why quit? Why shouldn't I just keep on doing it? I like what I'm doing. My back doesn't hurt this much when I take these pills. Fuck it. And obviously, that just continued to push him further and further down the downward spiral.
1: I think it was about the time when the record came in at number one. I was pretty terrified. I was happy as hell. Don't get me wrong, man. I was like, Oh my God, yes! And at that point, I had just got back from the doctor, my second MRI, and I realized I had 2 blown out discs. Now, in order for me to be this Superman, the, the media had built me up to be, I had to quell that pain. You understand me? So it started with, and I ain't laughing, man, it is, uh... You know, we can laugh together, but this ain't funny, really. I uh, started off with regular painkillers and muscle
3: relaxers. Never underestimate the ability of an addict To rationalize Yeah. Never underestimate the ability for them to make connections That aren't there And for him to be able to rationalize This is a 100% a negative Thing for him and his personal health Both mentally and with his addiction Because all this is doing is validating Every rationalization he's made Where it's fine, I have it under control I can still work, I can still tour I can still do all the things I need to do And then this happens and you have any success With this, that tells you your rationalization are correct all of the thought processes you had are correct and there's nothing for you to worry about you have it under control the universe has now fooled him into believing his own his own thing
1: eventually you climb up the painkiller ladder because painkillers lie to you they will magnify that injury and that's all that's on your mind the injury and painkillers up the ladder i went Stronger painkillers. Stronger painkillers. Stronger painkillers. And you hear, and you damn well know, when your audience is looking at you different, when your band members are looking at you different, you're going, man, what is wrong with Phil? What is wrong with Phil? You get a little tired. You get weary of it. You feel like this 20-something-year-old, which I was, juggernaut, man. You want to leap out of your skin, but you can't anymore. You can't just hang out anymore, because it hurts to hang out. Or you're too loaded. And once everyone starts laying this trip on you, that's when you close the door, and the needle slides in, Jack. And from that point on, You are on your own. You're on a ride. And uh, I wouldn't suggest anyone in this room. I would never, I wouldn't suggest on my worst enemy this particular ride.
0: And the guys in Pantera, they thought that Phil was taking painkillers, muscle relaxers, but drinking, you know, so they're not even aware of the heroin at all. Like zero. So that's something that is 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 separating them without Phil actually knowing, but he is hiding that so well from them. At this point, they tore in different buses. Pantera was ready to record the follow-up to Far Beyond Driven, the album that went number one on the charts. And this was in nineteen ninety-six. When they had all the songs written, Phil told them he was gonna stay at home in New Orleans and record the vocals. Hisself and just send it over. Now, keep in mind, this wasn't the days of email. This was recording on tape.
4: You recorded your vocals in New Orleans. I did. While the rest of the band recorded in Texas. And this was because of growing tensions between you and the band.
1: I it was more like a growing drug problem between me and me. And that's the truth. But honestly... No matter what Pantera was written, I was there while we were writing the songs. Don't get me wrong. I would fly in every weekend, but I chose to do vocals at Trent Reznor's studio because I just wanted to be in my own zone, and honestly, the only reason why I wanted to be in my own zone was because when you're even a rookie junkie, you are absolutely mortified, first of all, of people finding out and ashamed of your own self. And I felt a lot of self-shame at that point. And I didn't want to be seen by my bandmates that were counting on me.
0: How big of a red flag is this for the guys in Pantera? And what real legitimate reason can someone have to record their parts away from the rest of the band?
2: Well, obviously he's got a lot to hide and, you know, And every time they see him mess up, they're going to attack him. There's probably lots of fighting going on within the studio. Every time they're together now, there's an argument. They're all because when you're in a band, you you turn to one another. You have to. It it is a family. Like and then whenever you put that, whenever you jeopardize that, you're going to build all types of resentment. And that's basically what was going on every single time those guys would get in a room. He would be high or something. They couldn't tell. But then something would spark him. They'd start fighting, and then. They
0: go their separate ways. Addicts disconnect from they, responsibility. Uh, yes. addicts disconnect from their family. Yeah,
3: addicts you know? isolate. That's part. Yeah. That's part of the process. And and the reason that they isolate is that you start to call on them on things. You call them on things, and then they start to isolate more and more and more, so they can live with their addiction and they don't have to answer to anybody. And 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 I, and I just think that this is this is a, an ultimate isolation. This there's no legitimate reason for him other than the fact that he knows that if he spends 16 hours a day in a studio with them, he's not going to be able to avoid the questions.
1: The Great Southern trend Kill I think was a very, I don't want to use the word experimental, a very different record for Pantera. And I think it'll be, it's one of those records where I think definitely in a few years it'll be way more appreciated, you know. That's how I feel about it. Actually, there's a lot of stuff on it that I love. But, you know, everybody's got their own
0: opinion. Still went gold, and so the album is completed regardless of Phil doing it in another state. The album is called The Great Southern Trendkill, and it, it debuts at number four on the charts. So the debut is good, but it quickly falls off the charts and was considered a commercial disappointment at the time. You Now, keep in mind, Trend Kill was an extreme record. It was a lot harder, a lot faster than Far Beyond Driven, but it took away a lot of the replayability of songs like I'm Broken or Five Minutes Alone off of Far Beyond, Beyond. Driven.
1: I think that's a unique record. I'm not going to say it was for the better, because honestly, when we did the next record, after the live record, Reinventing the Steel, our last record, that was maybe one of our closest Times ever, and I know we can get into that later. But we really did, you know. After I did the record in Trent, Bag was very adamant that we worked closely together, and that's exactly what we did on the last record. And I was actually in a uh, more uh, stable place at that point. Absolutely a lot more, and and it was fun that record. And we, were, the brotherhood was 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 very strong right right then again, and uh,
0: not for long. No. So two months after its release, the members of Pantera who are now touring with Phil, like I said, in separate buses, they're living apart even though they're on tour, would have an explanation for Phil's behavior and why he's so isolated, why he's so distant. So after a performance in Dallas on July 13th, Phil Anselmo goes into cardiac arrest from a heroin overdose. His heart stopped for a full five minutes, and paramedics revived him with an adrenaline shot to his heart. This came out of nowhere to his bandmates Dimebag Darrell, Vinnie Paul Abbott, and Rex Brown. They were all shocked, and that is when they realized that Phil was indeed addicted to heroin.
1: When you got, when you had a record contract, you had publicists. You had oh, a million different tentacles and satellites that were doing work for you. But normally, a publicist is the one who pushes you, pushes you to have your face on the cover of these magazines. The Kurt Cobain's, the Lane Staley's, rest in peace, by the way, and me, destroyed, drug riddled, pathetic, yellow, right there on the cover of magazine, and you have no choice but to submit and be put under a microscope and hey, it's a chapter of your life, man. It don't go away. It don't go away. And they will glorify you. When you're on top of the world, man, they make you, the media that is, they will make you MTV magazines, VH1, yeah, it don't matter. They'll make you Superman. (coughs) But once Superman stumbles, it's kinda like the old adage, man, Once your head gets, uh, once you get big enough for your head to see over that fence, that's when people start throwing rocks at it. Once Superman trips up, man, they will judge your talent, your accomplishments, and your trip-ups, and solidify your entire life in one paragraph. And it hurts, Jack. It hurts, because you know they don't know you. They don't really know you. They don't know the struggles. They don't know what it's like. Most writers and uh, media people are wannabe musicians anyway that can't do it. That's
0: the truth. What do you do? at this stage if you're Dimebag Vinnie Paul and Rex Brown in Pantera and you're Superman frontman whose performance are hurting the band and now you realize why do you stop the band in the momentum that you have right now which isn't going to last forever or do you just push through i mean that's 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 a tough question to ask i mean it's like do you do you put
2: do you put phil's health front and center but at the same time though how do you get this guy to want to take care of himself it's like so. So you can stop the band and then hope Phil gets his shit together, or you deal with Phil fucking up over and over again, and you keep on with the band, making money, and still try and, and try your damnedest to keep riding this wave of success for as long as you can.
1: Chronic pain. It was the only thing. It controlled my mind, which controlled everything else. Dimebag was going through a lot of stuff at the at the end of Pantera. And, you know, me overdosing, that's like, there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse. You are fucked. You are labeled. You're a a target. No one trusts you. You know, I could have been as straight, and I I was several times, as straight as a motherfucker. And he would come charging at me, accusing, and I can't blame him. Fuck, no, I do not blame him. In hindsight, I do the same thing to other people today. I'm that guy. I'll save your life, you know? Hey, man, I've walked many, 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 many fucking drug addicts since I've been clean. I've walked many a motherfucker clean in my house no matter how many days it took. One time, one guy was A 10-day motherfucker. And I got about a 50-50...
3: I mean, just if you know anything about addiction, you can't keep that person in the same environment. You can't allow them to continue to live their normal life because that's telling that's enabling them. Mm -hmm. And and I think that morally we can stand here and say you stop the band, you get him treatment. You tell him we're never going to play with you again unless you're sober and that's just the end of it, and that's the way it works. But that's the ideal situation. You're not going to do that right after, you know, you're, you're in the middle of touring stadiums. You're not going to do but it. The only
1: way to fight, I figure, is to wisen you people up now. Wisen you up. <laughs> that's tough, man. When you're in your 20s, man, early 20s and shit like that, man, your will is aloof. You got one, blockades come up. Because your will is your path. And all I suggest is you navigate slowly. Because life is going to test you anyway. And ain't none of us born with a silver spoon, really?
3: It don't matter
1: what walk of life you're from. Life is going to test you anyway.
0: And can someone with the ego of Philadelphia some at this time in his career That's what honestly get sober?
2: and even be willing to listen to his bandmates. Phil Anselmo feels like he is Superman. He feels like he's untouchable. He's unbreakable. There's no way they're going to be able to say, hey, Phil, get your shit together. He's going to go, no, guys, I'm fine. I can do it. Look at these guys. They still love me. Look at them. You know. I mean, they, And on top of that, too, the fan support. I mean, you get that kind of adulation. And there are so many people. Again, I, am a ch- I was a teenager during that time. Phil, that band affected so many kids my age. And you have all these people that are looking to him as a god he's like well why change
1: there's no reason and then pete at the time because you know typos for the ladies and shit he told me one time before their second record come out i said so how's it going in the studio pete we are going to get so laid i am gonna get so laid pete he was about six nine voice like that huge monster just passed away. And by the way, he was sober for about two months before he passed away. So that shows you right there, the riddle of life is tripped out. We ain't got a damn one of us know when our end is coming, man. So that's why, you know, figure, come with love, do your best, try to do something positive, be nice to fucking people around you while you're around, fuck. I got a lot of making up to do, Jack. My legacy is as spotted as a fucking hyena. I gotta fucking be kind, because I have kindness in me.
3: I'm sure those things affected him, but I I actually have to disagree with... Both of you on the ego thing. I don't think that, the, I think that what this is is what happens to a lot of people with addiction problems. I think he had a massive amount of childhood trauma he never dealt with. And then when he did the thing he thought was going to solve it, which was be successful with his art and his music, and it didn't solve that pain inside of him, he went to the next best thing he could find. And, and that's, I think that this is not about ego at all. And I think this is about unresolved childhood trauma. And, and this is just him dealing with. The fact that he literally barreled through life and then became famous and now all of a sudden he still has to deal with all that shit in the back of his head.
1: There is a saying that love is nothing more than a jack-o'-lantern. You know what a jack-o'-lantern is. You know that candle that flickers. But it does go out now. We don't know how long. Love is a jack-o'-lantern that hovers over graveyards and bogs. But if you take that love and attach it to will, it becomes a lighthouse that brings you safely into harbor every time.
0: And for me growing up, there was three voices that I listened to to understand a lot of my issues in in the rock and metal world. Henry Rollins was the primary voice, just like Phil Anselmo. Mike Muir from Suicidal Tendency was very important. And then Phil Anselmo was very, very important. I remember after the statement that he puts out right here, Phil Anselmo's music and legacy is still very important to me up to this day, no doubt. But I didn't look to him as the same father figure as I did for guys like Rollins and Mike Muir. And this is the statement that I remember reading as a 14-year-old child at the time and just thinking to myself, like, my hero let me down. This is what he put out after his, uh, his overdose in Dallas. I, Philip H. Anselmo, immediately after a very successful show in Dallas, injected a lethal dose of heroin into my arm, and died for four to five minutes. There were no lights, no beautiful music, just nothing. And then after 20 minutes, from what I heard later, my friends slapped me and poured water over my head, all basically trying to revive me. The paramedics finally arrived, and all I remember is waking up in the back of an ambulance. From that point on, I knew all I wanted was to be back on the tour bus, going to the next gig. Instead, I was going to the hospital, where I was released very shortly. You see, I'm not a heroin addict. But I am, was, an intravenous drug abuser. The lesson learned here is that every nightmare ever heard about ODing and or heroin is terribly true. And for my friends and family, as well as myself and our fans, I since then have recovered completely. The pan uninterrupted. I tended to keep it that way. Special thanks to my friends and families who supported me and to the fans who pumped me up to the hilt. One message to everyone in this fucking world, I am not a weakling groping for sympathy. I will not die so easily. I'm here to piss off the music press for a long time to come. Very sincerely, Philip Anselmo.
1: I ain't no saint, man. Uh, I'm the king of liars. I'm the king of deceit. It's what heroin makes you. It's what dope makes you. Cocaine, heroin, whatever, they all go hand in hand. They're all in the same boat, and that boat sinks. It's got holes in it.
3: That's awfully defensive for somebody who doesn't have a drug addiction problem. I mean, that is just, it's full of red flags. It's full of rationalizations. It's full of, it's full of. I don't. I don't have a heroin problem. I'm an interview drug. You gotta admit the, the reason that you have a problem is because you literally can't say out loud, "I use heroin." If I use, if you use heroin, you're a heroin addict. It, it's chemically impossible not to be addicted to heroin if you do it. It's just the way that that drug works. So you can't say shit like that. And then all the that is a great tour. It's uninterrupted. Like it's just so much like smoke and mirror shit that addicts do to tell you everything's fine. I'm doing so good. He made it. He's
0: on a lie to to maintain his persona
2: yes he's making it sound like his heroin addiction was him stubbing his toe on the the coffee table and it's like no it's a little more serious than that
0: right you don't start playing
1: music to get to dope or drugs or booze you don't you start playing music because you love
0: it man how much damage has Phil done to the momentum and the moment of Pantera.
2: I don't think he's done any damage. Yeah. I think his fans are still going to come out there. Again, the message is still the same. The message in the music is still the same. His performances, I mean, again, when and, it, and this is one thing, too. Like, unless you were in the back and, like, really paying attention to the performance, then... You know, you didn't know he was fucked up Because half of the time, I mean, dude when All the Pantera shows I was at, I was down front and Chaos going all over the place I couldn't really tell if he was fucked up or not You know, well, like, he was on fire but That's what I'm saying, yeah. like the people up front The ones that really matter when you were doing a live performance They can't tell They can't tell, it's crazy the, it's the people that are the furthest back are the ones that are going There's something wrong with that guy But if you're up front, you're like, you're part of the You're, you're soaking in the chaos, you don't know the Lane
1: was, when he was straight he was engaging, strong, bigger guy than you think. About my about as tall as me. We spent a Thanksgiving together. And he and I just went out by ourselves and we went to some shady tit bar. I forgot what fucking town it was. Pantera. We we weren't even on tour with Allison Chains. We just met. Allison Chains was on tour. Supporting their first record, and we were on the Cowboys from Hell tour, so we both came out in 1990. He was fun, man Next time I saw him was early 92. I had met his girlfriend who Eventually was the girl who ended up down in a hole She turned him on to dope um, I saw him at the Lollapalooza gig and he was different, of course In retrospect, I th- once again, it brings up shame in my heart because I- I'm an engaging person Like I say, man, I come with love. And the fact that at at one point in my life I was this zombie, you know, it's... Very hard to say you're sorry enough times to your fucking loved ones, your family, and all your friends.
3: I mean, and the thing is, is that I don't think that these kind of things ever can really slow down the momentum of of a band. I think in music, we are so culturally ingrained with music and substance abuse going hand in hand. I don't think that that turns us off as a fan base.
0: If Phil died on that day, would he be as popular as someone like Kurt Cobain? Yes. 100%. Yes, The legend would be insane, right? Yeah. I'm glad he didn't. Because all the great music, you know, that he did afterwards. But the point is that, like, just just the thought of him not being there, you know, dying for five minutes. Dying young is so
2: romanticized in rock and roll that, I mean, it's just, you're right, though. I mean, if he would have died right back there and then, we wouldn't be talking about Phil, the ex-drug abuser. We'd be talking about Phil, the icon, the
1: legend. I do have an injury, but I'm not going to go into that. To me, that's no excuse. That's just another crutch. Screw that it feels wonderful to be back and it feels wonderful to see that the people have not left me the true hardcore people have not left me.
3: Substance abuse is so glorified in music. I mean, think about it, how many jokes there are about like how you can't be a good musician unless you're on heroin. Like, right. I mean, this, there's a reason that that's that's funny to people is because it's kind of true. Like, we we do look to these great, all of our great musicians that we really want to, in any musical genre, even not even in rock and roll, not even in metal. If you go across the board, there's substance abuse is one of those problems. We just accept it. We as a fan base don't all go, yeah, we're not going to support you until you get off the heroin. We all go, well, I hope he makes it through the show. You know, like, it's very strange. We think the heroin makes better records. Yeah. yeah. And, it's and, part of the cool factor, man. And and just be, uh, to me, I mean, and I'm like not... the in,
0: drinking with Pantera, it's part of the cool factor.
3: And I'm not right? innocent of it. I think standing in that audience, watching a guy on heroin perform music is just as enabling as any other behavior.
1: What I did was absolutely stupid. I own it. I own it. Instead of sure, instead of pawn it at all, oh, I was drunk. Oh, this, at the other.
0: I own it I did it it's on video for the world to see so with this guys a live record is released in 1997 by pantera just a year after the great southern trend kill that record is official live 101 proof Everybody. That's right. That's right. In the next few years, Pantera does tour OzFest and even opens for a reunion of Black Sabbath. So they're still already on that, that high scale, high level. However, internally, they never really recovered from Phil's revelation at the Dallas show. Because even though Phil was like, I'm not doing heroin, I'm not doing heroin, they can't saw trust the reaction of Phil sometimes backstage, like, almost falling asleep on amps and things like that. So they're like, we have no proof that he's not. But that really splintered the band intensely.
1: When I say controls everything, I mean everything. People think painkillers and things like that are only numbing out pain. You take them for long enough, they start numbing out your emotion, man. And once your emotion is numbed out, then... You are controlled, Jack. You're controlled. It's got you. It's the most important thing in your life, whether it be this tiny little pill or this funny dust. And you're trading your family, your brothers, your sisters, the brothers and sisters you call friends on the street, lifelong friends. You'll stab them in the back. You'll stab them in the back. You'll break their hearts, and you won't even know it.
0: So all the members toured in separate buses, as we mentioned, and, and the tension between Dimebag Daryl and Phil was very high at this point. With, with all the inner turmoil, the group took a year before returning to record what would be their final record, and that record was reinventing the steel.
1: My time with Pantera, I felt, had reached... A point where I never wanted to become past my prime with one band. I felt that Reinventing the Steel was probably our best record next to Vulgar Display of Power or Far Beyond Driven. One, yeah, of, the, one of those two. Yeah. yeah, most people would agree with the Vulgar Display of Power. But um, I thought our last record was extremely real. For it's, you know, to itself, to the fans.
0: Now, in that time, Phil again was starting up many different side projects at New Orleans. He did one called Viking Crown, and they all kind of dissolved. He did one called Ebion, which was just one song that he threw out. He um, did a record with his soon-to-be wife named Southern Isolation as well. So a lot of stuff, he's, he's staying active but this is all while he is addicted to drugs in his, his hometown. And none of this is being released by major label stuff. It is, again, underground. like, And he probably prefers it that way.
1: Eyes fixed on the digital clock, minute by blurry minute. Delivery at 3.17 in the a.m. Stay in bed. Because that is where I am always five hundred dollar trade without conversation bang two bags not off not hearing whoever leave time to start the day and that's it bro you're not getting high anymore it's fear that controls you one little thrill Oh, I only do it a little.
0: (laughs) That's a laugh, man. And it's
1: not a fucking funny laugh. Pardon me.
0: So, Reinventing the Steel, the final record by Pantera, that was released in the year 2000. Also debuted at number four and... Phil had visibly become a different person and mentally he represented a dark version, one who seemed to be more character than actual real person at this stage. He had long hair all the way down to his his butt, dude. He had a long beard. He looked like a villain from like a Rob Zombie movie at this point. It was not the Phil Anselmo with the shaved head and the shirt off and the strength, it was a different persona.
1: I relapsed, I, I, I did very well. Matter of fact, a day later we were back on tour and we fucking played. So, not—it does not justify me doing heroin. I'll tell you what, that night was the most humiliating night of my fucking life. Cause I flopped, I died in front of fucking all the Abbott Brothers family, their friends, their family, people I'd known for Ten plus years. I woke up in the back of an ambulance, puked, and all these people are screaming at me and I'm looking out of the back of the fucking doors and I guess the girlfriend I had is crying her eyes out. She's dead now. Drug overdose. Two kids. Some husband. She died at 37. And my security guard pushing people back. Everyone's screaming, crying and then I've I'm, I'm got all these tubes fucking attached to me and I'm like, what the fuck, man? And I start filling someone off and these motherfucking faceless restrainers fucking put me in my place and some lady says, you better shut the fuck up. You just overdosed on heroin, Mr. Big
0: Talk. You were dead for four minutes. Welcome back to life. You ought to be thanking the people around you. Pantera's final album was in the vein of extreme metal. It was influenced as much by a band like Leonard Skynyard as it was Slayer, so it was a good time record. It was heavy, but much more focused on the groove, unlike their last record. And musical interests seem to be changing in heavy music this time there was a rise of new metal so the reception to the record at the time wasn't great it is considered their their least inventive album by critics Now, did Phil have any desire, in your opinion, to be in Pantera anymore, or was he just slowly killing the band while catering to a severe drug addiction? At this I
2: point? think there's a couple of things that are going on here. Let's go back to the underground compared to the major label. All the stuff that he's doing on the underground, things like, uh, I mean, you know, g- going there and, and going back to the New Orleans scene and, and working with those guys like, you know, guys like, you know, Down and, and all the other bands that you mentioned, that's art to him. That's, that's his creative self coming out. Pantera is work. That's a major label release. There are consequences when you don't, when you don't reach a certain milestone. Meanwhile, like he put out Down, they're like, let, you know, they were kind of looking at it like, eh, we'll just put this thing out. The expectations are low. There's no pressure. So he keeps on wanting to try and make that. Pantera, on the other hand, there are expectations, and right now he's so far removed, uh, you know, from from fame. He d- he doesn't even care about all that stuff anymore. Like all he wants to do is just do his own thing. So, thirty
1: two in June, June thirty, same day as Mike Tyson, but don't apply the same. I'm an extremist. I do what the fuck I want, when the fuck I want, and I ain't gonna hear nothing about it. I am but a babe in the goddamn woods, and every day I take a step, I learn something new. If I shall falter and make a mistake, I'll learn from that damn mistake and pick myself up, dust my shit off, and fucking trudge fucking forward. That's the shit, man.
0: And let's talk about the dark persona of Phil. Uh, He started it kind of towards the end of 96, 97. Uh, he was more Charles Manson at this point than he was Henry Rollins you know he, he had that that sinister and evil vibe and look that he felt represented himself and New Orleans so his entire persona his entire image is rebuilt and now he's entering Pantera every time
1: Pantera would take a break which was about twice from 90 to 97 every time we'd get together that's a lie, by the way. Well, we did a lot of touring, though, Pantera. We toured a lot. Regardless, anytime I'd have a break, I'd get home, and I'd get bored in about two or three days, and I'd have to jam. I'd have to do something.
0: How much does that affect mainstream and commercial viability?
3: I mean, it... <laughs> I imagine that it's it's a lo- it's a lot it's it's a lot because what do we have we need him we need that chaos factor but then. You also go out and you change who you are Over and over again and then you add in the Substance and then and then you try and push Yourself back into that you know place I don't think that it's I don't think That you're going to be in any kind of place where you can create Anything I don't think you're going to have the same relationships Anymore because you're not the same person well
2: I Think on top of that too I think it was just the Fact that you know right at this point he Has he's inching closer and Closer to rock bottom and when you look At what is long hair and long Beard pretty much tell you it I tells you that guy Gives up he doesn't care about about his look anymore the 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 militant uh persona that he used to have it doesn't matter to him anymore nothing matters to him anymore
1: this the, the residue that methadone leaves behind uh i didn't feel right probably for a year after that you know it's yeah. it's so miserable and so uh i guess chemical altering you know it, it's a, it's the worst it's the worst drug in the fucking world right next to heroin which I've always defined as a definable evil
0: pantera toured heavily again throughout 2000 and 2001 um and their final show ever would be on august 28 2001 in japan they did have a tour planned with slayer in europe but after 9-11 occurred they were stuck in dublin and it was canceled and they all went home
1: we landed to do the tour we just got there it was going to start off in belfast and uh I was sound asleep and my phone kept ringing off the hook and it was our tour manager. And all he said was, turn on your TV, they're blowing up America. And I didn't know what, I, so I clicked the TV on and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is a big deal. So uh, it was us, Slayer, and, uh, but everybody agreed that this is not the right time to... Tour, let's get home as fast as possible.
0: That's when Phil requested a year off from the band Pantera to regroup and do some side projects. Vinnie Paul and Dybag said, No problem, we'll give you a year and we'll let you do your thing. At this time, this is when Phil does get married in 2001 on Halloween. And he keeps his distance from Pantera. And refocuses New Orleans and his size projects as his main gig. Was the damage in the relationship with Phil and Pantera fixable at this stage? I
2: think so. I think if I think because at this point, Vinny and Dime, they're just like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna play your game one more time. I, it's fixable Mm -hmm. because if it wasn't fixable they would have been like okay look we're also icons Vinny and Dime are also icons and Rex I mean those guys can also go out there and make money if if need be maybe not the same money as Pantera but they'll always be sustained you know so they're over here like we're gonna give you one last shot to get your shit together folk keep your eye on the prize and then come on back a year is a long time you guys
1: I think it's taken a full five years of getting back to it and what not to feel even any semblance of, I don't know, uh, better, I guess. But it, t- it takes a lot of here, and a lot of here—that's the heart and the fucking will. God damn it!
3: I don't think that it was fixable, and not because Dimebag and, and Vinny aren't, aren't icons on their own right. I don't think it was fixable because of how viably different Phil was as a person. I don't think that you can go through what he went through, especially dying. I don't think that—I don't think that his the, his statement tells me he probably didn't deal with the emotional trauma of what he went through that night. And so he's probably a, a very dark person now. I mean, this the, you see this a lot in people with near death experiences. They become very death obsessed. They become very dark. They become very cynical because they. I mean, he. What does he think? He he, he knows that he knows he's still doing the thing that p- almost put him in the ground the first time. You think he has pretty m- a lot of faith that he's going to wake up in the morning?
2: What I also believe is. He again, he put out that persona that he was militant, that he was made of iron, that nothing could break him. And then the media also
0: made him feel that way. The media also jumped on that and said, This is
2: who you are. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. That was so, part of so, that too. So, right, right. But again, this is a persona that he created. And you can't create a persona like that if people think you're weak. Well, now he's a guy who's suffering from a heroin addiction. You're, are, now people think you're weak. Now he has that working. Not against only is him. he
3: a guy who suffered from a heroin addiction, but he died. He died for five minutes and had to be rescued. I mean, and that is the ultimate in, in, in taking down from that pedestal. When you're built up as, as the man, the strong, the strength, the warrior, that thing, and then you have to be rescued, I mean...
1: I'm very human. I, I, I couldn't... I was so fucking humiliated. It, that whole ambulance ride, the whole stay in the hospital in this... Outer Limits-esque fucking room with one cot. It was almost black and white now in memory. Very strange. And this little old school telephone there, they gave me the receiver. It's my mother. My piece of fucking dog shit tour manager called her at fucking... Two in the morning or whenever it happened, in the middle of the night, woke her up and said, your son just overdosed on heroin. We don't know if he's alive or dead. We'll call you back, click. I will never forgive that motherfucker for that Jack. To put that kind of fear in my mother's head, she adores me, she's my mom. Immediately, I wanted that fucking phone. I got it in that strange little fucking stay in the fucking hospital told her I was alright she was aghast, distraught so anyway uh, yep that was the most humiliating fucking night of my life and I did really well after that and then I relapsed I fucking don't remember but I relapsed uh, six months eight months, nine <laughs> months later maybe more than that or uh, less than
0: that And that statement That he put out Made him sound like Aha I came back from the dead and Like almost like It was a It was a badge of honor Yeah Yeah So And now Phil So he Phil's not gonna quit music He's walking away from Pantera To do other projects As he, he wanted from those guys And so Phil First project Is he gonna get With the most successful project That he has Down Things
1: haven't changed So much
0: So Phil gets down back together. It's been seven years since their last record. Now, they just go into his house, which is, uh, and they have a barn where he makes it so they can record that record for 28 days. Nobody leaves from that that band. It's stated it's 28 days of drugs and booze-induced days to create music. And now the one thing about Down's second record is that the bassist, Todd Strange, did leave, and so he recruited Rex Brown from Pantera to join Down.
1: He lived in California and I swear to you, the night the entire band was going to meet and have an intervention with my bass player, he had already done himself in, man. I'm an alcoholic. The first three times he went, I'm doing it for my kids. I'm doing it to save my marriage the next time. I'm doing it to get back in the band the third time. Guess what? (laughs) None of them worked. You got to do it for
0: yourself and you have got to want it for yourself. Rex Brown joining down in any way a negative to Phil rejoining Pantera.
2: Yeah, because now you have Rex in and on your shit. Mm-hmm. Now you're bringing Rex into your fold. Now Diamond Vinny are just like, now the band is not just Phil against everybody. Now it's 50 50 now. Now Diamond Vinny, they have to worry about what Rex is going to do now.
3: Well, and I don't even think it's about what Rex is going to do. I think it just changes the dynamic when there's two people invested in the same thing. You know, it does create. Although I can't say that there was any of it, but it, it can create a feeling of versus.
0: There's sides to be taken. Phil yeah. has Rex on his side, and then obviously uh, Vinny and Dimer brother, the Abbott brothers, they're going to be on the other side. But there is a line drawn in the sand that if Phil wants to keep doing down, he has a partner in crime because Rex is invested, which is a very safe play and safe move on his part. Not saying that was on purpose, but that could play a factor in Phil not taking Pantera as serious as a return So the year Phil requested off from Pantera uh, runs its course. The touring cycle for Down is finished. Now, Down 2, it did not get the love that their first record did. From critics and fans alike, people thought it was put together quickly. They thought it was um, just a different style and a different sound. So not a lot of people understood that record as much as they wanted to. So Phil didn't have that critical acclaim on that record like he did the first time around. So instead of, you know, working on a new Pantera album after that first year, Phil decided to jump on another band that he started back in 1991. The band was called Super Joint Ritual. So he decided that he would release a debut record on that record. So now, he released down record. The same year, in 2002, he decides to release the Super Joint Ritual record, which comes out in 2002. Obviously, Vinny and Dime are not happy. Feels like, I'm gonna go on tour with Super Joint Ritual. We felt...
1: Extremely strongly about, like we knew one day it was coming, and it just had to be. You know, it had to. It it could not stay buried in any any longer at all. I I I have many reasons why, but I cannot go into it. Without just just plain and simple, it was time for Superjoint to come on out. You know, and I knew that I had to get as strong as possible to even halfway bring Super Joint Ritual to the people. For Super Joint Ritual, I need to be a thousand percent, and right now I feel like I'm about 75, 80 percent.
0: So at this point, Phil has two bands plus Pantera. He's got Down and Superjoint Ritual, and this causes a, a major issue between him and guitar player Back Daryl. As their relationship has fallen apart, uh, Superjoint as a band did get a lot of critical praise for the extreme, for the underground, for everything that Phil represents at this time in his life. <laughs> I'm going to quote him that he said on an interview with Sirius Radio. I think it's not just me needing a break from Pantera. I think it's a mutual thing. And more or less, I believe that right now in our careers, each and every one of us feel this is where I'm coming from. The last record that we did was everything that I wanted the Pantera record to be, more or less. I took a hiatus and I paid way more attention. Last year was a bit of a screw up with down and Superjoint coming out at the same time. And people were confused and this and that and this and that. I wanted to put out all of that on the side and concentrate on one band as I should. And that band is Superjoint Ritual right now. Feels extremely important to do this band and that's what I'm doing right now. No other band. When he was asked if Pantera was over, he said, "No, you're dumb to say anything is final because things change day by day, especially in the music business. There's no hostility towards any other Pantera members or anything like that. It's just how it is right now." In my heart and in my mind, I truthfully feel that Superjoint is the band that Once the public truly gets a hold of it and embrace it, it's going to mean a lot to them. The
1: first warm-up show was maybe one of the worst shows, Super Joint Ritual has ever played. It sounded like we were in a chamber and it was just this big echo. However, after that, we hit Texas and we did this long Texas run. And uh, we went through also uh, New Mexico. And... uh, I gotta say, they were some of the best audiences ever supplied by Texans, for God's sake. They were vicious. They were great. Oh my God. I can't say anything better about them. Last night, though, we played in Las Vegas and they had a a metal fest of some sort across town. However, we still managed to pull six, seven hundred people. And that's, you know, that's cool. And we played a, a House of blues and it was still intimate and it was violent as hell man they they were so into it i saw so many kids singing the words
0: i was very proud so at the same time phil gets a divorce from his first wife and tension within the band the band saying phil's not responding to them so dimebag and vinny go out in 2003 while superjoin is on tour and state pantera is officially on a hiatus that same year in 2003, Phil releases his second record with Superjoint Ritual, um, which is entitled entitled "A Lethal Dose of American Hatred," which was released in July in 2003. <laughs> On a song which also gets him in hot water Again with the racist Comments and community There's a track called Stealing a Page or Two From Armed and Radical Pagans The lyrics go as such We're clearly heathens, not Catholics, not Christians Not communists We're barbarians and dangerous The absolute dark horse Anti-Jesus Christ, no more of the coward Muhammad's extermination Of the Catholic guilty through suffocation Taking no pity on the Jewish Elitists And that lyric once again got Phil getting accused of bigotry. And perceived as racist So he responded again I'm anything fucking but I know there's shitty people And beautiful people On both sides of the spectrum Black and white And I know for an absolute fucking fact There's good Middle Eastern people Who live here And I know there's good Oriental people But if I'm writing a song And it has to touch on the negatives Of certain issues I'm not gonna beat around The fucking bush and fence ride, Especially with Super Joint Before with Pantera I had to be slightly careful Now I don't I can see from the enthusiasm And the audiences that work we're on our way to something extremely relevant, something on top of anywhere anybody thinks we might go. If
1: i found out tomorrow that i had black african in my dna, would that change my story at all? Would that make me feel one less different or uh, strange about my life? Hell, no it wouldn't. Goddamn f- fuck no it wouldn't. And yes, it upsets me. Racism. And it's the motherfuckers out there, straight up, that view through that lens. If they're looking for something racist in are if you're looking through that particular broken
0: lens, you're gonna find it. With that statement guys, Pantera, the brothers, the Abbott brothers, Vinnie Paul and Dimebag Daryl officially put out a statement saying Pantera is broken up and release a greatest hits record and decide to start their own band. So Phil's drug addiction is also a huge factor because it was not condemned in these other projects down in Super Joint Ritual where it, with Pantera, there was zero tolerance for it with Dibag and Vinny Paul.
1: Before we play the old stuff at the end of the night, I let everybody know that, you know, ain't no chance in hell we're trying to ride on the credibility of Pantera. But sorry, you got half a Pantera there, and that was a huge part of me and Vinny's life, man. And uh, I feel that the fans got let down. You know, the Pantera fans were let down, and, and I'm here to prove with damage plan that me and Vinny had nothing to ever we never let the f-ing fans down, and that we can get up with damage plan and blast them f- songs better than they've ever been played and sang and uh the response has been great and i'll tell you there's not been a city that we've gone to that uh anybody's gave us any flack about pantera or pantera in the middle of the set nobody's yelled nothing at us and nobody's come up to us and said hey dude you know this or that it's been nothing but hey dude we're down with the plan and uh nothing but awesome comments and compliments for pat man and
0: uh yeah the point is definitely getting across so did phil's drug addiction truly ruin Pantera.
2: Yes, absolutely. There's no doubt about it because, again, we brought it up several times throughout the show. When you're addicted to drugs, it's all about you. You're selfish. You start believing your own bullshit. Then it's like, I don't need these guys because, but guess what? It's the drugs talking. It's not you talking. The drugs have completely taken this guy. They've taken control of him. They're not letting up. And now he, and instead of, you know, pointing the finger inward and admitting that you, you, Made all these mistakes along the way, and maybe apologizing to Vinnie and Dime, you're pu- you're giving them the finger. You're giving them the finger. You're saying it's on them, and it's just sad. It's sad how it all worked out. They made beautiful music, and you know uh, that that fucking horrendous drug just took him.
1: Took him. If you don't know, stay in bed. Shake empty pill bottles. Paranoia. Mentally pace because you ain't getting out of bed. Thinking all the wrong things that can happen from there to here, in dead silence. A fleeting moment of guilt. Living out the true blight. Though being wealthy enough to have suicide delivered upon a request. No hitting the streets for me to cop. Irony. Trading one disaster for another. Not a light on in my house as usual. Just listening for a car door to slam.
3: Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of this is is sad, but a lot of it is, is a story we've heard so many times, which is unfortunate. It's just a story of... of- the thing that what happens when somebody does a drug so much like this and gets so wrapped up in that addiction is that they literally do change as a person. And and if I were to put myself back in that room, the very first time Phil sat down with the entire band and, and really started to try and write with them and create with them, I imagine he was a captivating charismatic person with passion and a lot of interesting things to say. And, and, you know, he really believed and had intention. And, and I think that, uh, you can't have all those things in in pure in purity. You can't have it genuine when you're when you have an addiction because your motives are always selfish. It, the sad thing is, to your point, they do make beautiful music together, and now he's a different person, and and they're just not going to create the same stuff because the team isn't the same, the dynamic isn't the same.
1: And you know, each record, you know, uh, strive for more and more and more and more, better, 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 better. But that can be said of the whole band, man. The whole the whole band. As a whole, I've never to this day played with tighter musicians in my fucking life.
0: And so Vinnie Paul and Dimebag Daryl, they start a new band called Damage Plan, which is signed to a major label. So now there is two separate entities that are Pantera in the music world.
1: I you know that we had, I the same
0: And with that, the media doesn't let things like this go, and they ask direct questions, and by doing so, a war of words happens between Vinnie Paul and Dimebag Daryl and Phil Anselmo. Rex Brown is not really involved. Revolver asked Vinnie Paul about Pantera, and he stated Pantera is dead. He told in the magazine that Anselmo's drug use has rendered him much less than subpar at what he does. And then he stated he was very private about his... Uh, drug use. I don't know if he was using the whole time or what, but it got to a point where I didn't know which Phil was going to show up to the gig. One night he would walk in and be a fucking animal. The next night I'd walk backstage and he'd be lying in the corner and he'd say he was tired. I will never take anything away from that dude for when he was at top of his game, but where he's at right now, I have a hard time watching him when I see him on MTV talking about super dope ritual or whatever they're called and he can't keep his fucking eyes open. I always
1: ponder the thought, what if, you know, if Bag was still alive, I think there would have been an end to any rift that there would have, whatever. Bag was too much of a brother. To carry a fucking hate around with him, you know, or anger, you know. And I deserved
0: some anger. And someone responded to that. I just hear a big and sad yellow belly crybaby fucking knowing that his meal ticket is in a different fucking band. You would have to know those fellows to really understand where I was coming from. They're scared of their own fucking shadows. And all that said, I wish them the best of fucking luck. I still love them. For Vinnie Paul's information and anybody else who would like to know, I've been fucking stone-cold sober for fucking two years. I feel like a fucking Boy Scout, for God's sake. He continues. There was another thing brought up in the interview where Vinnie Paul said that he knows how to stop drinking you know and they can't con- and they can control themselves and magically Diamond Daryl didn't answer a fucking thing you, you know why that is because his fucking friends have to carry him fucking home every goddamn night every night on tour he gets carried to the fucking bus now you tell me me fucking up one time in my life compared to his 3007 give me a fucking break man
1: straight up I'll say it right here And I've said it before. And I will fucking regurgitate it. My door is open. You hear me? I told you before. I come with love. That means that's a fucking open door, man. I doubt that Vinnie Paul will unlock his door. I know him. Fear controls him. It's a shame, but it always has. Fear controls Vince. And I don't know why but he fears me something fierce and I I love the guy I love the guy and I I would love to have the fucking opportunity to apologize the way I apologize to my family to my best friends and everybody for fucking losing my mind for a period of my life that I fucking regret to this second. I'd love to have that opportunity, but like I said, you know, he's going to drink and go to a tit bar that he probably owns and be superficial. And that's sad. Therapy don't come out of a whiskey bottle, Jack. He watched his brother get murdered.
0: Phil's anger towards them, and the press is all about this feud. They're all about the end of one of the greatest bands in metal history, and they'd like to throw fuel in the fire. And and Phil's response is, because he's still in this addiction no matter what he says. He's not two years sober to anybody's knowledge. So in the middle of this addiction, Phil is the one that the press are going to get the meaty quotes out of because his rage is always on display. It climaxed on December of 2004. Metal Hammer put out their magazine. It was December 1st in 2001. And what Phil stated in this magazine was, Dimebag deserves to be beaten severely. My will was defeated.
1: I could be drugged one way or another. Started another band, side band, super joint ritual. That turned into this other thing when Pantera was hanging. And then this media thing. A war of words via black and white sentences. You sit there and you read it. Now, basically, what happened was I did this particular interview with this cat. And on the way out, we're walking off the bus. He's behind me. And he's like, man, I hope this doesn't, you know, get out of hand between you and Dimebag and Vinny. He goes, man, why?" What would happen, man, if, if they jumped you or something like that, you know, got mad at me, jumped me, a very hypothetical thing. The way I speak, you know, it, look, I, okay, I said something to the effect of, I'd kill those boys, you know, they can't fight me, you know, I'd kill them boys. You read that in black and white, I'd kill those boys. It is as literal as a mofo it is literal and they took it very literally and the media ran with that man all over the world man in different languages (laughs) you know
0: and on december 8th when damage plan takes the stage Um, Dimebag Daryl Abbott is shot and dies while performing with his new band damage plan at the Alarosa Villa in Columbus,
4: Ohio. Well, the 911 tapes paint a picture of chaos and fear inside the Alarosa lounge. When it was over, witnesses told us they believe the gunman had a grudge against one of the band members because he pointed the gun directly at him. Police have not been able to confirm that. Tonight, this murder scene is continuing to provide more questions than answers.
3: I'm at the Alrosa
4: Villa, and there's a shooting. Someone is shooting the band on the stage. He ran on stage and just started shooting people. Someone's shooting the band on the stage? I'm on the stage at the Alrosa Villa. Witnesses say it was pandemonium inside the Alrosa concert lounge last night. This guy ran up on stage and shot him point blank in the head. Dimebag Daryl Abbott, the lead guitarist of the group Damage Plan, would be the first to die. Yeah. 16-year-old Jeremy Spencer saw the gunman run on stage. He fired a full clip and he was reloading it was just after 10 o'clock does anybody have a description yeah did anyone see him with a gun see him shooting he's still shooting he's still shooting do you see him anywhere inside he said still shooting the guys still shooting five people would die including 23 year old nathan bray a fan of the band witnesses say the gunman had a grudge against one of the band members when you see somebody point a gun at one person only and unload five rounds in them, something personal is going on. How many shots were fired? Well, just one multiple. I don't know. Did you see anybody with a gun? Oh, yes. Police say the gunman was 23-year-old Nathan Gale. He was on stage with a hostage when Columbus Police Officer James Nigemeyer quietly entered the lounge's back door. He would kill the suspect and end the killing spree. It appeared that he was about to kill his hostage uh, when the officer uh, basically put an end to it. Tonight, a memorial grows on a rock outside the Alrosa Lounge. I'm still in shock, you know. Fans, young and old, come to pay respect to the band and the victims. What no one can answer is why a night of fun turned into one of the deadliest shootings in recent memory.
1: There's no actual way to deal with it.
0: Is there any correlation between Phillip's hateful comments and the death Of Dimebag Darrell a week later It's the same thing that happens When
2: When somebody who is A prominent figure When they say certain things Especially in, in interviews and stuff They get you know, twisted and, and turned. And you, and you never know w- if the wrong type of person is going to take that message and go a completely different route with it. I mean, you see, you see it uh, happen today. I mean, a lot of people get upset when Trump makes an inflammatory comment. I mean, most of the time, you should just be able to turn your head and walk away like nothing happened. But words do carry with certain people. And I think the one psycho, piece of shit, garbage human being Took Phil's message about Dime needing a beating and went AWOL with it and took it to another level, thinking that he was going to please his master. You know, and that's where and that's where things manifest. I mean, when when a lot of your messages are made out of anger and rage or sadness, there's gonna be somebody out there that's gonna take that message and go, I'm with you, man. I I I'm gonna do this for you. And they take it to a level where It's It's, incomprehensible. It's interesting,
3: really, because you you compared him to Charles Manson already once, and the thing that Charles, yeah. Charles Manson Is kind of a rock star In his own right A lot of people Don't really know A lot about Charles Manson And a lot of his story And really Why he became The person he became He was
2: a big boy. He, he, he was big uh, With the Beach Boys He was
3: big with the Beach Boys He was a musician His whole life He loved music He wanted to be music I mean Charles Manson Is a very interesting story And it's kind of The same thing That you see In these situations Not that Phil and Is Charles Manson But when somebody Like that is that Enigmatic And, and that captivating To people it, For some people it, The same thing That drives people to addiction is the same thing People that drives people to cults and and different things like that is because they're looking for an answer. They're looking for an easy solve for what they're looking for. And Pantera changed the landscape of music forever. And it changed people's lives forever. And it's hard not to imagine that there was somebody out there who, when Pantera broke up, was looking for a scapegoat. It's hard to imagine that.
1: People want my reaction to what happened. This is not about me. This is about Dimebag Daryl. Purely Daryl. It's not about me or some motherfucking psycho that happened to destroy the most beautiful fucking person. My pet, one of my best friends in the world. It was the heavy metal goddamn media. That destroyed Pantera this is about Daryl, my brother of 17 years who are Pantera's music changed people's lives man we weren't just some band he was not just some guitar player I want to say Bless his family and all all of his close friends. And I never got a chance to say goodbye in the right way, and it kills me.
0: And I'm so sorry. On December 8th, when Phil Anselmo woke up, he was this persona we're talking about. On December 9th, the day after Dimebag Daryl's death, Phil Anselmo was not that person anymore. He was never the person that he was the day before that day. Superjoint Ritual broke up shortly after that in 2004. That ban was over. Down was not continuing to tour anymore. And Phil Anselmo was forced to get humble in one of the most dire situations possible, losing um, someone that is his brother on every level and not being able to ever make amends with him. He tried to attend the funeral. The family told him to leave. So he was not welcome at the funeral. And the family did hold much resentment towards him for the death of Dimebag Daryl.
1: I wish to God I could have gone to his funeral, but I have to respect his family's wishes, and they do not want me there. I believe I belong there, but I understand completely. I'm so sorry to his band members, I'm so sorry to the whole in world that loved our Daryl because let me tell you something, there was not one mother like him. I'm so sorry to his family and everyone else who was just senselessly killed in Columbus, Ohio. That's a town I love. That's a town I've played up a hundred times, goddammit. I love that town. That's where Diamond Dow got killed. This is very unique for me. And that's all I know. Just bless his family bless bless his friends i love him like a brother loves a brother vinny paul my other brother i'm so sorry i'm so sorry <laughs>
0: My co-host Brandon Gooch-Hahn on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch and Jocelyn Sharp on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Joslyn Sharp. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Rise to Offend and on Instagram at Rise to Offend Official. And make sure you listen to us every Monday on the Metal Sucks podcast on MetalSucks.net. Email us comments, questions. Errors we may have made or any figure you would like us to cover, rise to offend at gmail.com. Follow and discover the works of Philip Anselmo. Go to philanselmo.com, support his record label, thehousecorerecords.com, Housecorerecords.com, and all his bands and projects from the legendary Pantera down, Superjoint Ritual, and Philip H. Anselmo and the Illegals. And for interviews, go to youtube.com and search Phil Anselmo. Thank you all so much for the reviews on iTunes. These five-star reviews are helping this show grow and is all we can ask from you guys. It truly means the world that you take the time to listen and review the show. Next week, guys, we will do the final part on Philip H. and Selmo. Until then, Repeat Offenders, RTO Podcast, signing off.